Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get into what we're talking about, this week I just wanted to remind you that the other two kinds of episodes, aka the weekly news show and the Sunday show, are are on kind of indif- indefinite, indefinite is, what is the word I meant hiatus until I figure out exactly what I want to do with both. I kind of know what I want to do with the new with the Sunday show format since I decided to turn that into a a YouTube kind of a YouTube edition thing also. Um I want to do something more in depth and more conceptual. Um but I just need time to sit down and plot that out and do that whole thing. But it's the new show is a whole different can of worms, but those are currently on hiatus. But if you're hoping to hear from me every week, as it's still the Thursday show, and you can listen to last Thursday show all about One Piece film Red, it, it kind of... It inspired the next... Two episodes of the podcast, I want to say. This one and the one following it. But this one, we're going to be talking about a little show from 2017. What studio? I want to know what studio made this. From, actually, a studio called Graphica. And was originally licensed by Funimation, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, Called Junai Tyson. Anime considered. Lunchbox Radio. Now, if you're not aware of Junie Tyson, of of Junie of Tyson as they pronounce it in the dub, because I watched the dub because because of reasons you'll find out why in a second. Um, but if you're not aware of Junie Tyson, it is one in a long list of battle royale shows. But it's one in a long list of battle royale shows from like the heyday of battle royale shows. But it's also a battle royale show in the same kind of form factor as something like fate. If you're not aware of what fate is or what I'm talking about when I just say the word fate, you're a little lucky. <laughs> I have done my crash course in fate. I've watched a lot of fate stuff. I am not a fate a huge fate fan. I like the I like them well enough. I they are fun. It's a fun thought experiment to be like what would each uh, U.S. president be as a, like, fate, like, assigned character, like, berserker, you know, assassin, that kind of shit. Like, what, what, what character, what would Abe Lincoln look like if he was a berserker? (laughs) Um, what would George Washington look like if he was a fate, a berserker class in fate, in, like, fate stay night or something? Um, that's a conversation I've had with friends before and it's 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 always a hilarious time because people get to like John Adams and it gets real weird but 
so the kind of forum I'm talking about is a battle royale between a set number of con of contestants who each have like a role that they're assigned to. And in fate, it's like it's like berserker class, assassin class, you know, archer class, that kind of thing, but or rider class or something like that. And then you get other version of fate where there's, with there's like administrative class or shield or whatever. But in Juni Tyson, in Juni Tyson's case, you have the subtext of the of the animals of the zodiac. So every combatant, not every character, but every combatant in the Juni Tyson in the Juni Tyson is a is correlates directly to a animal in the Chinese zodiac. So you so you open up the show following a character named Inyoshishi and she is from the she is the boar. And you co you come into the show thinking that you're going to follow the this character, this character from the from the from the fam from the from the I believe it's the the Eno family the 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 Boar clan for the entire show, and and it, it makes no it makes no hint as to you won't be following her, and it treats her like a main character for 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 the first episode. And here's where I want to pause for a second, giving you like kind of the general synopsis of the show. Lots of people don't like this show. And I, there's plenty of reasons not to like this show. It's got a grim, dark setting. It's yet another battle royale. It doesn't quite live up to its predecessors. It definitely isn't on the same battle royale par as something like Fate. It's not something kind of as unhinged even as Batum. But if you've ever seen Batum, but I want to talk about it here for one for a few reasons, and one of those reasons is I think that it adds something to the genre. I think that adds several things to the genre, and it it is executed really well for what it is. The show looks good. The show rarely looks straight up bad. The even the CG in the show feels pretty of a piece with everything else. It it's not unnoticeable, but it's close enough to unnoticeable where you will ask out loud, as I did, like, "Oh, is that? Are they doing this in CG right now?" And when you realize that you like, you're like, "Oh, this looks okay. This 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 doesn't look like garbage." Which, for what the show is, isn't, um, isn't something that you would expect. Every, every piece of this show tells you this show shouldn't work. But it does. But, but it does in its own way. It, if I had to give this show one major, like, fault. It's that it doesn't expand on its world building. 
And I would bet that the original source material has a lot more world building in it than this show is giving you. And this show, is, I believe, is, is 12 episodes. And it goes at a good fucking clip. It just goes at a good clip. And like I said, lots of people don't like this show for a lot of reasons. And we'll probably bump up against them in this episode. But... It comes up with a pretty good. It comes up with a pretty good conceit. It comes up with the idea that your that the this show is not about one character. You, it does not have a protagonist. You are really kind of playing witness. Kind of you you are the witness to this battle royale event called the Juni Tyson. And you're getting incomplete information. You are... You, you're never following one character for very long. As soon as you think you're following a character for a significant length of time, you are on to the next character. And that is... The reason for that is the character dies. Every single character in the show, with the exception of one, who's a combatant, just bites it. And so you open up on Inyoshishi and you get her, you get a portion of her life story in that you see her young adult, you see her adolescence into adulthood and you see that she's just kind of a fucking rotten bitch. She's just a rotten bitch. She's from a very wealthy household. She, and you are, you come to understand that all of these characters are from these 12 families who each of whom sends a warrior every 12 years to the Juni to the Juni Tyson battle royale and Juni Tyson is well connected enough that it can just empty out a city somewhere in the world every year for these motherfuckers to fight and kill each other for and the reward is the reward for the fighters is one wish it's just a wish you get a make-a-wish. You get whatever the fuck you want. But the reward for the Jun Tyson is these... Is these tournaments that they throw every 12 years function as a proxy war. Which all the major controlling, like, Illuminati lizard people control the world type people bet on and rely on to basically just settle scores. <laughs> and the whole gambling angle that you don't see very much of. You see like one they have one scene to kind of like set that frame for it, but you don't see very much of it at all. And like I said earlier, that's a fault of this show is that it doesn't the world building this show does is it builds the world, the the world of these individual characters, of the 12, of the 13 individual characters who you meet. And the re actually, it builds the world of the 12 individual characters you meet, because there are exactly 12. But two of them are twin brothers, but they're the snake and the dragon, respectively. Respectfully. Respectively, rather. But these little one to two episode things... <laughs> are expanded on because you get different 
perspectives on, and they do their, like, cut, they almost cut the episode in half with the first half of the episode, you'd be dealing with one character. The first half of the episode past the first episode, where you're kind of seeing everything from in Yoshishi's point of view. You are... See, you're, you're getting everything as a... As kind of half an episode per character. As kind of half an episode per character. Per character, but those halves are butted up against each other. So let's say in episode two, you end in Yoshishi's story. In episode... In the second half of episode two will be the second... Will be like... I, I think it's... I think it's Dotsuku. It's Dotsuku's story. He, he's the warrior of the dog. And then the next... The next episode will be the rest of Dotsuku's story into... Niwatori's story, who's the warrior of the chicken. And they do a really good job of of diving into those characters and showing you what those characters' lives were like. Oftentimes, just a little before they became what the show refers to as warriors, which are essentially these people who are taken in, who either born into or taken into these one of these 12 families, and they are groomed especially to be the, these particular zodiac model warriors before they go away to the Juni Tyson to assumingly die all except for one they are sent into war zones all around the world and they're sent into war zones to kind of like push the to push in one direction or the other for whatever family says like we want you to do this we want you to do that and it's not always fight. Sometimes it's just they want information. That You see that in Niwatori's story. But the thing they do really well is, A, the art direction for this is superb. They manage to make all the characters feel like Zodiac characters. Some in wildly weird ways, like Ushi, the warrior of the ox just walks around in a matador costume with two giant, with a giant bullhorns on his head. Or, like, the guy who's the sheep. Um, I forget the character who's the sheep. But he is, he's just an old man with horns. And when you see him in his younger years, he also has horns. They're shorter. His name is, is Hitsuji. And when you see Hitsuji in, like, when he's in his 20s, he has horns, but they haven't grayed out they're less twisty. He's less. He's less of an old man, basically. Even a character like Inyoshishi, who seems, who is boorish in nature, and a lot of these characters, their own personalities are like the personalities of the animals they represent. So, Inyoshishi is really boorish and really, really loud and boisterous and like opulent. And she also walks around with these two boar tusk earrings that flank her face and come out like actual boar tusks. Which is... Like, the character design 
choices they make in this show and commit to fully is part of the reason why I was like, this show, this show doing some good shit. Because it just, it, it's like, no, we're not going to half-step this. Like, if we're going to have a warrior of the monkey, she's going to have, like, a monkey tail. And she's going to be monkey-like. And she's, her backstory is going to involve her learning from monkeys. Like I keep saying, this show's biggest sin, and the reason why I think people chafe against it so often is because they'll give you that, but they won't give you the world building around it. They won't expand out to that next level. I've talked about this a bunch of times on the show, but one of the reasons why I love long-running shonen action shows is because shows like Bleach, shows like Naruto, shows like Dragon Ball Z get into shows like One Piece, get into the minutia of how the world works out of sheer necessity, out of the fact that at some point they needed to make an episode a week every week until they dropped, until the animators dropped dead. And that's why you get weird things like, and I've brought this up a million times, how they deliver the mail in Konoha in Boruto. Or, you know, like, the driver's license episode of Dragon Ball Z. That stuff exists because there was a ne- there was a necessary component to it of, well, we need to put out an episode this week. What the fuck do we do? And the thing that people forget about that stuff because there is the kind of, like, filler arcs of something like Boruto or even more egregiously something like Bleach is that... That stuff contributes to how you feel about the character. It's fun. It feels good to, like, watch Piccolo and Goku fuck up a driving test. It feels kind of awesome to, like, see Naruto go to ramen, go to the ramen shop from Konoha. It, that stuff feels good. Like, it, it, it's part of the building of the actual character of the thing. And what you have in this show is you have a start at that for most characters, but you don't get the complete picture. You never get the A to Z of it. You get, like, the A to G of it, maybe. And in some, in some cases, you get fuller pictures than others. So the Warrior of the Tiger, um, Tor- her name is Tora, you get a huge portion of her life story because her life story intersects with Ushi's life story at some key points. And when she tells, when you see her story right about in pattern of this show, which I will give this show also this. This show is the phrase, oh, they're only telling me about her because they want me to care about her before she dies. Like, this is that, this is that concept made into a show, unironically. I, like, it does not apologize for it, it does it every time, it just does that. And the one character who they don't do that for is the one who doesn't die. (laughs) Actually, they do a different, they do, they don't do it for a different character, but he, he becomes kind of the main antagonist if that, if this show has that. And they even do it, they do it a little for all of them, with the exception of the one character who, who lives. And 
with Tor, they because you're see, because you get to see her, her life from two angles, you get a more complete picture of her as a person, and you get a slightly more complete picture of Ushi as a person because he's also he's also that. He's, his story intertwines with hers. The same is true of the... And I would surprise when people said they don't like the... The, uh, the... The Tatsu... The, uh... The... The... Kyodai brothers. Because, to me, their episode was so... Their, their two episodes... Was, gave you so much about them that you didn't know. That they, they, they you couldn't have known if it would just... If they were separate episodes that were un, unconnected. And they have such a different vibe. And all the fighters have different vibes than each other to some extent. But they have their stories. Their two episodes had such a different vibe than anything else in the show. In... In in Sharyu, the Warrior of the Monkeys case, she's very she's and they do this in the show whenever they fight. They introduce themselves like Sharyu, Warrior of the Monkey, killing peacefully. That like it's always like a their name, their title, and then a hint of how they kill people. So the most badass one is is Warrior of the Tiger. Killing in a drunken rage, Tora, and she her like ability is that she is a drunken master. She is she gets super drunk and murders people. It's wild. And the other thing about this show is all of these characters have some kind of ability. Superpower isn't quite right, but ability is. So a great so the two great examples are. Hitsuji is, he's just a master explosive expert. He's just a pyrotech, a really, really, really expert pyrotechnician. And he gets that from having been a illegal arms dealer for decades, like decade, decade, like 70 years, like wild amounts of time. And then you have a character like, he's competing in, and he's competing and he is, a former victor of the Juni Tyson many years ago. And you find out why he is competing again and all that other blah, 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 blah. Um, and then you have someone like Niwatori, who is basically bird psychic. Like, she is a... She has the ability to control birds. To, like, speak with and control birds. And those two characters exist in the same universe, and they never really explain that. A lot of this show's downfall is that it just it it's just giving you stuff, and it, but it's not giving you the background to understand why or how this stuff exists. Um, it's sometimes giving you what those characters, how those characters became that way. But it's very rarely giving you 
why those powers exist in the first place. It's not going all the way back and saying, okay, this is how this world is. It's going, this is who the character is. This is what they're capable of. Go. Just go. And... That gets a little conflict. That gets a little complicated in the in the finale of the show, which I can see Oz also being a huge letdown. But I'll get to why it's not in a second, and I'll dive into spoilers for the finale. I've been trying to avoid it so far because I think a lot of this show rests on the fact that you don't know what's going to happen, other than you figure out pretty quickly that everybody except for one is really going to die. <laughs> um, but the the show seems primarily interested in telling these characters individual stories as they as they cross each other's paths and as they leave the world, as they leave the world of the living behind. But it also seems like the original author wanted to build himself a puzzle box that he could play with of like, okay, I have this character and they have these powers. How would they interact with this character with these powers? Like what happens when the old timer pyrotechnician crosses paths with say the, the like young girl who is a deeply PTSD scarred military veteran who spent her entire time in the military basically killing people with her bare hands while drunk. And what are the, like, knock-on consequences of that happening and how does it happen in weird ways? And, like, he's got a checkoff gun situation. How does that work? The show can feel like it's... flying by the seat of its pants, but once it gives you all the pieces, it's like, either the author, the original author got very lucky in the way that it's all played out, or he did plan it. He did plot it along. So it, so he was taking everybody on a, on a trip, so to speak, through, through the narrative of the show. Now, here's what I want to talk about the, the bad guy, the one of the two characters who they don't give you a whole lot on. And then I'm going to talk about the just excellent ending of this show. The, 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 thing that, the thing that sells this show to you at the, by the end of the first episode is actually the ending sequence. And I'll talk about why in a second. So the first character they don't give you much on is Usagi, the warrior of the rabbit. And he's just this, like, psycho bunny boy, psycho reversed bunny boy, which means that he's wearing, like, he's not wearing a suit, he's wearing, like, a bow tie, suspenders, and some, like, high porno cutoff jean shorts situation. And he's just buff as fuck, and he's got two big old, like, Arabian swords that are bloodstained at the tips. And he just... He's just the antagonist. But the way they, the power they give him to be the antagonist is essentially, is he's a necromancer, which means he can control any body he's, any body of a person he's killed. So 
as he kills more people, he gets more what he referred to as friends, but he gets more basically zombies who he commands to like do his bidding and kill other play and kill other players who he can and like disable other players who he can then kill and control. And and he like eventually is like controlling maybe six people at once. Probably more than that, actually. But they don't give you much on him. But the only kind of glimpse you get into his past is from the end credits. And the end credits feature a great song. It's got a Japanese title, I can't remember, but it's from Do As Infinity, Do As Infinity, who've done um, a really famous Inuyasha ending. Um, if you've heard it, you would. If you know it, you probably know the Do Infinity ending for, scene from Inuyasha, and it's playing in the back of your head right now, just like me. But the entire end sequence is glimpses into these characters' personal lives before they came here to fight to the death. You get you get in your you get in your Shishi's life as just kind of like a rich daughter of a former winner of the Juni Tyson, who is also a sociopath. You get you get a glimpse into uh the dog warrior's life as just kind of like a rogue agent just kind of chilling on like a on like a cold night in Tokyo or something. You get you get glimpses into Hitsuji's life, and he's just playing go like on the porch of his family's house. You get a glimpse into everybody's everybody's life, and in each glimpse, with the exception of Nezumi, the warrior of the rats, um, who I'll get into in a second, you get a little bit more from them. Like you see that Niwatori is a secret agent. It's essentially a secret agent. You see that. Hitsuji is just kind of living the life of a, like, very content old man because he won the Juni Tyson once before. Of course he's living. He's, like, content with himself. He's not, he's not in absolute luxury the way that Inyoshishi is because he's, like, stepped into a room with his peers and killed the other 11, which changes a person, I'm sure. And he also understands that it will occur every 12 years, whether he likes it to or not. But Inuyoshishi is the daughter of somebody who just won, who you led to believe the only way you can be excluded from this is if you win and you don't nominate yourself again. <laughs> so you find out in Hitsuji's case that he basically becomes the warrior of the sheep again not because he wants to win, but because he doesn't want his grandchild to lose. He wants to give his grandchild another 12 years of life without having to deal with this shit, without having to have to try to win the Juni Tyson, without having to probably die in the Juni Tyson. And they do that best by when there's a plot point where they act, where the character all asks what they'd wish for, and his wish is kind of a joke. His wish is like, I think I'd probably wish for my use back. <laughs> because I've come to realize that, like, everything hurts now and I'm old and it sucks. But yeah, I don't really have a wish anyway. Because he's already achieved his wish. He's, al he's already won. He won before he stepped onto the field. 
because he got to keep his grandkids safe from this horseshit for another 12 years. And I would imagine what he would do is he would try and, like, exclude his grandchild's line of succession from the Juni Tyson if he won. But he didn't. Um, so, the... The person who wins is Nezumi, and you don't find out much about Nezumi until after the Juni Tyson ends, and they spend they spend the ep- they spend the last episode on Nezumi and Nezumi deciding what his wish will be, and they inter- and this is this is what I think the show probably lost people. If they made it all the way to the end of the show, this is what I think the show probably really lost people. Because suggesting a kind of personal horror and existential horror that doesn't doesn't feel doesn't feel like most of us would experience it. Because and they also introduce Nezumi's ability in this point. And Nezumi's ability is to run, it's to kind of simultaneously run or one after another at the very at the very least, run a hundred different variations of the same scenario. So he can step into a room and he can see the way it would go a hundred he can see the way it would go in a hundred different ways. And out of those, he picks one and then he locks it in. And that becomes reality. And this is, this is like on a global scale, on a universal scale, nobody else re- realizes it happens. The only thing that people get is a slight feeling of deja vu when they see him. Because they, if he interacted with them in any of the other scenarios, that really happened. He just Santa snapped it out of existence, essentially. And so what he does is he runs through a hundred wishes and kind of sees how they play out. And he also, in there was one scenario which he asked, one scenario where he ran through the Juni Tyson hundred different ways and he asked everybody what their wish was and they all told him <laughs> and so he tried he added those to the pile eventually we end up wishing for the ends up wishing to forget about the Juni Tyson entirely because the sheer stress of no, of seeing all the possibilities just drives him nuts. He can't decide. And he's like, it stresses him out so much that he flips his lid and loses his mind. And he finally wishes to forget the whole thing. And the organizer of Gene Tyson, I forget the guy's name, but he's the, the, the dude with the top hat. The, or, Du- his name is Duceppel. Duceppel is kind of like this, like 
eldritch being person who just exists to be the organizer of this murder game. It's just like kind of bows and is like, what a wonderful wish. Give yourself a hand. And then it's done. And Nezumi is free of that responsibility finally. And he can finally go to sleep with all the peace, with as peaceful as humanly possible, whatever. But that still left me with this reality of this show is that it's a really well executed, pretty good what if scenario that's got some faults. It's got some really big faults. And I'm not saying, and I would never say this show is perfect. I think the rating I ended up giving it on um, Miami list was seven. Which is, which is, what's, what's seven? Seven is good. It's not great. It's not even very good, but it's good. It's not going to kill you to watch it. It's not, I wouldn't call it required viewing. It doesn't have, to me, it doesn't have anything that sits, that, that is carried on by Battle Royale shows beyond it. It is very much... A, like contemporary of something like Fate Stay Night. But it doesn't even have the commitment to the bit that Fate Stay Night does. It doesn't have the like spiraling out into infinity of the different Fate properties. Like the, the Fate Stay series, like Fate Stay Night, Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, there's like three core shows to the Fate series. The rest of them are just ancillary. They're just like what-if scenarios that aren't considered canon. They're also they're alternate routes in the like nomenclature of visual novels, which is what Fate was burst from originally. This isn't that. It, 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 it's its own canon. It's d probably not going to get any more. It could get more. It is infinitely expandable in the same way that Fate is. Like, as long as you've got human beings, you can plug into the different characters that you've created to plug into the different animal groups, into the different 12 different slots. You can keep doing this. But it doesn't need to keep happening. It... It feels, it doesn't feel unfinished, it feels complete, but I'm not sure what that, what the original goal was. I, and this is a misconception lots of people have about stories and storytelling and all that stuff. Is Lots of people want to think that like if you're going to tell a story, that story needs to have a point. It doesn't need to have a point. Sometimes it has points in it like the point of this story is really tell you it's really to kind of give you a documentation of these characters lives and how they came to be like the warrior of the boar the warrior of the sheep the warrior of the tiger the warrior of the dog that kind of stuff but it's not trying to give you a moral anything um so another show that's been that first popped back up on my radar, and I talked about this recently, actually. I've talked about Blood Blockade Battlefront in the podcast. You can go 
check it out. It's it's a while ago at this point, but it's in the feed, definitely. But the Bloodluck Cape Battlefront came up and everybody on um Otaku's Anonymous and Chris Chris, MC Hammer twenty three is it just kind of stumbled upon an edit of it on what's it called on TikTok, and he's like really taken with it. He watched the first episode of it, and he was like amazed by it. He's like, how how did I never see this? And one of the reasons why he never saw it is Blood Blockade Bat shows like Blood Blockade Battlefront shows like Orin High School Host Club are the best variations of this thing. I would also attribute that same thing this, and people are gonna find me, I'm sure to Bakemonogatari, or the Monogatari series in general, in that they are self-contained things that don't super have a point, <laughs> that are very niche-focused, that just caught on. Like, there's no... And they don't really have a moral center. They don't need to have a moral center. That's not what they're interested in. Uh, Blood Blockade Battlefront doesn't really have a moral center. All the characters in Blood Blockade Battlefront feel remarkably human. They feel flawed. They feel fallible. They feel like they have incredible powers. Like they are gifted, privileged to be alive in the way that they are people. But that's not... But they're, but they're not suggesting any kind of moral good in the world. And that's, that is true of all the characters of, Ju of Juni Tyson as well. That, like, they are, if they are rotten, it's because the world has made it possible and many times even necessary for them to be rotten. They are not rotten of their own accord necessarily. The closest thing you get is actually Inyoshishi, because she is just a bitch. She's such a bitch that she basically drives her younger sister to kill herself because she got chosen to be the to be the next contestant for her, the family in the Juni Titan instead of Inyoshishi, and Inyoshishi took this as an affront to her personally, and then set out to, over the course of a year, get, like, emotionally manipulate her sister to such a point that she died, that she killed herself. Uh, but, for the most part, all of these characters are just, they're figuring out ways to live in a universe that has taken that, has taken them and said, this is what you do now. And probably the the reason why I like, and I think the episodes called the episodes are called "In Like a Dragon, Out Like a Snake." Of the two twin brothers of of the two Tatsumi of the Tatsumi brothers, um, but the Tatsumi brothers were always kind of a force to be reckoned with, but once they became guns for hire mercenaries of sorts, they kind of flip the script and they do they do what they want when they want. 
and they they serve at their own they serve at their own pleasure, but they also serve to their own morals, and those morals don't always line up to what everyone else believes. But they they're doing what they believe to be right and what is right and good in the framework of what their lives are. And they show that pretty clearly. They're not doing it they're not doing what they do for a moral reason or a or a for a societal moral reason or a rules based reason. They're doing what they believe to be right in a way that allows them to continue to live and survive. And you see that in all of these characters. You see that in Torah's story. Torah starts off as the child of the Torah, of the, like, Torah family. Of, like, her, of the family that represents the tiger. And she is the star pupil of her father's dojo. And then she, so I'm gonna, spoilers alert for this if you haven't figured it out. And she rides to the top of her father's dojo. She then is like sent out into the world as the next head of the family, meaning then the character who's going to be, who's going eventually to be selected to be the warrior of the tiger. And she serves in the armed forces. And they praise her for, for doing what soldiers do, which is fight other soldiers effectively and with, and with diligence and ruthlessness. Well, ultimately, that eats away at her, and you see, you see this in all these characters. That you see this in all the characters, and you see the way they respond. That you see their backstories, and you see the way they respond to it. Notably, Shiryu, when she experiences it, she's like, "Nope, not doing this. Going the other way immediately." And she make and she does her best to make it stick, and it never sticks. The world always you know, slides back into madness as soon as she's turned her back. And it's like a personal, like, hardship of hers that she goes and brokers peace deals between countries and then the war just bubbles over again when she, as soon as she gets home and off the plane. But characters like Tora did all the right things. And then she sees the reality of what the right things have gotten her because of her birthright and like her past in life that was handed to her. And it's horrifying. And she's clearly suffering PTSD and the way she's coping with it is by drinking. It takes her a long time to find a path out of that. It takes her arguably the rest of her life to find a way out of that and to, and to act on it. And... The I can I'm I'm gonna draw a comparison to the show from the show to to a show called Jormungand, which I've also talked about on this podcast. In Jormungand, you get a complete picture of the main character and of all the supporting characters, but you don't get a complete picture of her life. But you don't care because. You're given just enough to latch onto that you don't necessarily you don't necessarily need the specifics. 
this you're left grasping for the specifics because the show's not telling you with enough conviction where you should be focused. You shouldn't... Like, if you put out of your head that you're not supposed to focus on the specifics of these characters' stories and you're supposed to focus on the emotional truths of their lives, then it starts to make more sense to you. It starts to feel less like you're being cheated out of bits and pieces of world building and more like, I'm just here to go along for the ride with watching the Tatsumi brothers do their best (laughs) or watching Niwatori like cope in a world that has clearly taken advantage of her or watching Tora like fall fall from the fall from the path that her life has put her on because of her because of her human because she's human and then do her best to claw her way back to become something that she believes is right and not what the world had told her is right. And that I think that's interesting. I think that's interesting enough to give this show the 12 episodes, to give this show the, you know, six hours or whatever it is. The, the, the six hours of your life that will take, that it will take essentially to watch it. Less than that because they're 22 minute episodes, I'm pretty sure. But, it just, it struck me as, it's like, this struck me as interesting, and it struck me as interesting enough to t- certainly talk about on the show. Like I said, is it the best show? Yeah. Is it... It's not going to knock your socks off. You will see what's coming. But it is a refinement of the concepts that it's working with that I think is worth the time spent and if you're, if you're, as happens with this season, kind of looking for something to watch and you, like, need something easy and you'd like something dubbed, this is right there for you. And on that note, if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast are currently coming out every Thursday. And they are always like this. They're always about a show and or property. I am working on what I want to be want the Sunday edition to be and maybe down the line the the um the what's it called the new the anime news the weekly anime news show to be but until I figure those out those are on hiatus but until next Thursday I have been Alex this has been Lunchbox Radio and I will talk to you next time